0: Today on Recruiting Hell, we welcome Brendan Kumarasamy of YouTube's Master Talk, And we visit the way to become that mysterious ideal candidate.
1: Five minds are greater than a single mind. So if there's five other people that are all going up against each other versus five people who stick together, they're all going to share resources. So let's say me and you and Rob, we're on the same team. Like, we both need to get a sales job, we're both role-playing sales working together like rob you stink at this like you need to smile more you need to like we're really harsh with the feedback but you get the job and i don't so what happens in the situation is a lot of people go well that was a waste of time helping rob and i didn't get a job this sucks but here's what people miss who do you think rob is going to recommend when he starts working is he going to recommend some random schmuck? No, he's going to recommend me because I was the person who stayed the long nights with him. I was the person who made him the candidate he became to get the job. And that's why I got so many referrals when I applied for a job.
0: Hello, and welcome to Recruiting Hell. I'm glad you're here with us today. I'm your host, Rob Conlon. Welcome to episode 19 of our show. And our topic today is speaking. Something we generally all do readily with very little thought. But is it really that easy? Especially when you're placed on the spot in an interview with one or maybe more people. There's an old quote and a reference from some data that was gathered many years ago that asked Americans what their greatest fear was. And I'm sure this works for other countries, too. Uh, But people answered things like, my greatest fear is nuclear war or fire or I hate snakes. You, You get the deal. You get the picture. And that data was then compiled into a top 10. And it turned out that the fear of death was actually ranked number two out of all the things in the world that you could actually be afraid of. So now you're probably asking yourself, my dear listener, what on earth could be worse than death? What could scare people more than death? Well, apparently, according to the American public at this time, I think this was gathered sometime in the 70s or 80s, the most common number one fear that anyone had was public speaking. Hmm. Wow, public speaking, worse than death, apparently. I do think we need to get some priorities straightened out here. So yes, public speaking or speaking to one or more strangers that you don't know can be really nerve-wracking, and your biology is actually designed to make you uncomfortable when you're experiencing something unfamiliar, and it's supposed to protect you. But we can master this old instinct and put it to work for us in our job hunt, which is why I actually brought our incredibly talented guest onto the show today. Uh, Before we introduce him, though, if you are listening to this show... You're here for one of two reasons, and that's getting a new or better job. Today's job market is incredibly tough, and you're in the awful situation that I call recruiting hell, where good jobs are few and far between, and scams, underpayment, and jobs with ridiculous requirements for entry-level positions are the norm. Uh, This show is about teaching you about the, the pitfalls of the modern job hunt and how to avoid them. And it's also here to help build you as a person to bring your interview and job hunt game to the next level. The show is here to give you the discipline and motivate you to keep going in your search so that you can get out of recruiting hell. So no matter where you're at in your job hunt, and whether this is your first visit to us here in recruiting hell, or you're a veteran of the show, you are welcome at this table to learn new skills to help you win the job hunt. So back to our topic at hand, public speaking. How does it fit into an interview and what are some actionable steps that you can take to improve how you present yourself to hiring managers and interviewers alike? We'll find that out right now because it is my pleasure to invite Brendan Kumarasamy to our show today. Brendan is the host of YouTube's Master Talk. And Brendan, welcome to the show. It's, it's been a long time in production and you know we finally got this thing connected and I'm glad you're here with us, my friend.
1: Pleasure and honor is mine, Rob. Thanks for having me and for such a powerful intro as well.
0: Excellent. Well, hey, thank you. <laughs> That's good. I, I try to try to give you guys a a decent amount of uh, of build because you know that the I like to have talented people on the show and I think they deserve it. So it's good because uh, you're you're something else, my friend. But let's uh, let's let's start. Let's find out who you are and and tell your story, Brendan. Who who is Brendan Kumarasamy, and how did you not only get to become a a YouTube host, if you will, of Master Talk, but what
1: made you want to get into that space? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to expand. So my journey started at the age of five, Rob. My parents looked at me. I grew up in a city like Montreal, Canada. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, Brendan, you know, you live in Montreal. If you want to do well, you need to know how to speak French and you don't. So we're going to put you in a French education system. Hmm. So not only was I afraid of public speaking my whole life or presentations in general, I had to present in a language I didn't even know, so you can see me in like a grade two presentation. I'm just standing there as an eight year old and just going uh, "Bonjour," which is high in French for those who don't know, and then I just start panicking. So the last thing on my mind was to be a YouTuber on public speaking. I probably had astronaut above that. Well, then when I got to university, what ended up happening? is I did these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were, you know, playing football or rugby or soccer or basketball. This definitely wasn't me. I was clearly not equipped for that, as you probably tell through the video. But what I did instead was I watched other people present, and I also presented competitively. That's what I did for three years. I fell in love with public speaking, the competition aspect of it. So by the time I graduated, I would present over 500 times, coach dozens of people, wow. and realized that I was like the youngest speech coach out there. So I started making videos on the topic after I joined Corporate America slash Canada, because I realized a lot of the content out there on Public Speaking was terrible. So bad, you Hear terrible advice, like, oh, Rob, you should like picture everyone in their underwear. You're like, wait, what? Well, that's not right. That doesn't make sense. So I started making videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another. Production got better. I got better. And here we are today.
0: Gotcha. And, and that, that is so cool. And again, so you are bilingual then now, is is that correct?
1: I'm actually trilingual. So I speak no English, what? French, and Tamil. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and what was the third one? And Tamil. Tamil. Where, is, where does Tamil come from?
1: Yeah, you got so So Tamil is spoken primarily in uh, three different countries. So India is one of them where it's like one of the most spoken ones, actually not one of the most like in the middle. Sure. Then there's Singapore. So it's spoken in Singapore quite oh. a bit. And also in Sri Lanka, which is my home country.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. So I, I actually I try to be a little bit geographically, like I won some competitions as a kid and like I did, I didn't know where Tamil came from. So, Hey, everybody, we learned something today. That's cool. And that's really neat. That's your heritage. That's awesome. Excellent. Well, so now we, we've made the transition from five-year-old Brendan being terrified in, in French school to trilingual Brendan working for a, a, Massive company that's well known the, the world over. I don't know if you want me to say them or not, but uh, it's, that's really cool. Uh, I think it's it's a great, great kind of journey to to see the transformation. So now let's, let's kind of dive into this. You know, we've, we've got who you are and let's look at public speaking and how it kind of translates to the job hunt. And I recall a time when you and I were again, doing pre-production for this, you mentioned at one point, you had an interview process, I think it's for your current position, that took you eight months to prepare for, and that is such an insane, like, that's an insane length of time. How did your current skill set help you to get that, and and what kind of tips can you offer folks on on something that's kind of that bananas?
1: Yeah, so the, the way that I see this is preparation matters a lot more than improvisation, in the sense that. If you want to get something done, if you want to achieve a goal that matters to you, if you want to get the the task accomplished, what you need to do is to do the things that no one else is willing to do. So when I started university, and I wanted to be an accountant, that was kind of like my dream job at the time. I found out about a company called Price Waterhouse Coopers, sure. and I thought it was a Water bottling company. And for those who don't know, PwC is like a big accounting firm in the world. <laughs> you get a job there, it's like very prestigious. Mm-hmm. Very well known. But I thought it was water bottle. I was like, oh, water is just like a... Like Waterhouse a makes sense. Yeah, sure. It just cool. makes sense. Uh, clearly wasn't. I went into the information session with my sweatpants on. But let's just say I figured out really quickly it wasn't, uh, there wasn't anything to do with water or I guess maybe water bottling clients. Yet. But anyways, so what happened was I really wanted a job at one of these companies, Deloitte's and all that stuff. So what happened was I started going to these networking cocktails and meeting a lot of these people. And I started talking to students who had internships at these companies. This is back when I was 19. I was starting university. And I just asked person A, how did you get the job at Deloitte? And she would say something like, oh, you know, it's all about having a great personality. Then I talked to someone else at EY and, she, and he or she would say, you know, you got to do these things called case competitions. They're like business things. And they make you stand on the recruitment process. Third person goes, you need to study hard, Brendan. And then the fourth person said, hey, you should like get involved more, volunteer more. So the secret is that I did everything. And I became the ideal candidate, the perfect candidate. So whenever I tried to get something, whether it was a job, whether it was master talk, I always did 10 times more than everyone else. Public speaking was the same thing. Don't you all find it odd that as a 23 year old, I'm a communication expert, a coach of CEOs. The reason I did that is because I just present it hundreds of times a lot more than most people do in their lifetimes. So the idea is just always do more than the next person and do it so much so that it becomes impossible to not get the job.
0: Got it. So th- you mentioned some some core concepts I think that really work into it into a job hunt there. And you we might have a listener saying like, man, I, I can't do 10 times more. I got a wife, I got kids, I got all, all these things. I don't have any kids, but uh, I have all these things in my life that, that take up this time. But you can, you don't want to necessarily sacrifice any of that, but at the same time, you may need to reprioritize where your free time goes, uh, in that case. And and you saying that, that do more and become the ideal candidate is, is a challenge. It's very difficult. Uh, and it's, it's neat because, you know, you've, you've done it and, and that's great because at your age, you know, coming out of, out of college or university, you know, I remember that time in my life where I had just buckets of free time. And that if, if you're a listener in that, that zone right now, who's got that free time, whether you're because you're laid off or because uh, you are just coming out of school or something like that. This is the time to invest in yourself, I would think. Uh, and not necessarily financially, but in a, in a skills-based way. Cool. Okay. So we've we kind of found out how you tackled that, Brandon, which is great. So you, you went and you met other people, from the companies, but when we look at meeting people like hiring managers and recruiters, they can sometimes be a little bit, you know, imposing and, and they've got that that look on their face. Um and if you are a job seeker who maybe has anxiety, you know, I i don't necessarily I, lo- I love going and meeting people, but not everybody's me, not everybody's you. Uh if what kind of tips do you have somebody who for somebody who maybe goes, man, these people freak me out. How do we suss that out for a a listener here? Because you said the the underwear thing no, that, that's silly. How, how, how can we actually do that better?
1: Of course. So there's different layers to the conversation here, Rob, that I, because I love the question, so I'm happy to share that. Sure. So the first layer that we need to talk about is how do you get warm introduction to those people? So what I always recommend people who are looking for a job is more about thinking on the side of, okay, who do I already know in companies? And how can I reach out to them so that they can make a warm introduction to the recruiter? And that will make the conversation a lot easier when you have that. But in the context, if you don't have any of that, let's go into the cold version. So The cold version sounds something like this. There's one word that summarizes this tip. It's mirroring. So if Rob looks really excited to see me, I need to mirror that energy. But if Rob walks in the room and he goes... Yeah, hey, Brendan, uh, it's good to see you. And I start talking like this. Rob is going to get afraid. He's going to say, well, this guy's crazy. He doesn't fit the culture of our company. So the key is you always want to mirror what the other person is doing, what the person who has power is doing. And the person who has power is the person who controls whether or not you get the interview in this case. So what I've done, and, and I've applied in uh, different events, mostly in person, but I would do that virtually as well is I would just mirror the energy of the other person. If they're an introvert, uh, I start speaking like an introvert. If they're extroverted, uh, they start speaking to like an extrovert. A lot of therapists do this. And the reason they do this is to make the other person feel that they understand me, that they understand us. Man, Rob really gets me. He knows what I'm about. He knows I'm having a hard day. So he's not going to start yelling at me. He cares about me, even if I have no clue who Rob is, because I just met the recruiter. Right. Right. And that's the magic. So I would really practice this idea of mirroring. This other thing I'd practice, I wasn't given the intense stuff, because I know a lot of people want to get that job, and I want to make sure you get the result. That's why you're listening to the show, because you care. The other side is getting harsh feedback. I wouldn't have been able to do that eight month of preparation without a group. I I think it's lonely to do interview processes, cover letters alone. And also it's not effective from a recruitment strategy. Let me explain why. Go ahead. If you operate from scarcity, you will get nothing. If you operate from abundance, you will get everything. And I'll explain why.
0: I love this. I've heard this concept. Go.
1: Right. But I'm going to explain this practically so that there's no debate. So let's say you're trying to get a job. Yeah, you're trying to get this really competitive job and you decide to team up with four other people. Here's what happens. Five minds are greater than a single mind. So if there's five other people that are all going up against each other versus five people who stick together, they're all going to share resources. So that's what mean, you and Rob, we're on the same team. It's like we both need to get a sales job. We're both role-playing sales. We're working together. I'm like, Rob, you stink at this. Like you need to smile more. You need to like, we're really harsh with the feedback. But you get the job and I don't. So what happens in the situation is a lot of people go, well, that was a waste of time helping Rob and I didn't get a job, this sucks. But here's what people miss. Who do you think Rob is going to recommend when he starts working? Is he going to recommend some random schmuck? No, he's going to recommend me because I was the person who stayed the long nights with him. I was the person who made him the candidate he became to get the job. And that's why I got so many referrals when I applied for a job because I oh. helped so many people that all those people who ended up at crazy companies, Deloitte, Accenture, IBM, PwC, who is the number one person that they need to recommend? Brendan, you've got to come to PwC. you got to come okay. to IBM. you got to come. So I had like 15 interviews and I got like, wow. like three job offers and I kind of just, ah, I guess I'll work here and work there. That's the key to abundance. If you become the perfect candidate and you team up with a bunch of people, the key, especially in the context of communication, is now you actually get the real feedback that you need to get. Whereas where Rob can say, hey, Brenda, you're not smiling enough, dude. If you're talking about something you're excited about, you're passionate about, you look like this. Well, no one else is going to tell you besides your accountability partner. That's what happened with me. I'm very grateful for the five people who helped me get my job. And I bought them all steak after I got the job. Hey. Too. So that's the key. Uh, find some good people.
0: Excellent. Okay, so that that's had a couple actionables in there. I just want to kind of re, re-bullet those, if you will. Find some some buddies. Find some partners to help you, help you kind of train through that. And if they get the, the position that you're helping them with, they're going to be a great reference for you. Okay, so that's actually – that is – really wonderful. That's like, that's totally new content. Thank you for like seriously bringing an A game here, Brendan, that that's, that's outstanding. Uh, so again, listeners, that is, wow. Uh, probably something, probably one of the the hardest hitting minutes we've had on the show. So we'll, we'll definitely box that out and <laughs> make sure we play it to everybody anyway. So when you're, when you're doing your, your interview and things like that, you know, I come from marketing, I come from sales, I've always seen the the maximum of you need to write your ad copy for somebody who has a third or fourth grade reading level. Does that kind of apply to speaking as well?
1: Hmm. So the way that the way that I see this, Rob, I guess in the context of interviews, this is probably going to be the most effective uh, way of thinking about it. But feel free to follow up with another. Sure. Question. Sure. Yeah. Is is this idea that most people don't prepare the copy at all? So let's say they go into an interview. You know, every. Uh, disclaimer alert, 99% of the interviews, they're going to say to you, tell me about yourself. Like, you're just going to, you would be shocked with like, the number of candidates I've interviewed at IBM, which is a very competitive job to get.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: None of them, like I interviewed like 10 candidates, none of them even prepare it. So they walk into a room, they go, yeah, I'm just going to use a random name. Here. Hi, my name's Chelsea, and uh, yeah, my name's Josh, and, you know, I worked at this thing, I do this, and I'm just there sitting there like, dude, I mean, or madam, you do realize like, obviously you don't see it in my face. I'm a great communicator, but (laughs) but it's it's, it's stone faced. (laughs) Right. Whereas, whereas when somebody like me walked into the IBM interview, my tell me about yourself literally sounded like this. Hi, my name is Brandon. If there's one thing that you take away from my tell me about yourself, it's that I believe in helping other people achieve rocket level success. And there's three experiences in my life that helped me achieve that outcome. One was the case competition, the 25 competitions I competed in, training delegates from across the world, speaking in countries like Serbia, Thailand, and the like. Number two is the amazing experience of philanthropy that I had the chance of accumulating in my university experience, whether it's through Charity Water or the book launch that I helped be a part of. And number three is the experiences I've had at PricewaterhouseCoopers, helping CFOs and financial directors navigate the complexities of the financial world. And having that or being that example for them to follow so through all these experiences serving my clients etc etc i was able to achieve that rocket level success and that's why i'm excited to to be positioning for this role so notice how the structure and the way that you enter the room you just like they're just sitting there like wow okay like this person's different and by the way what i want to push for, i just kind of did that on the spot no it it was perfect go ahead thank you i appreciate it i'm not saying for people like to do that make it all official and stuff but you need to practice to tell me about yourself. Like, there's so I've probably practiced that one 150 times. Not like 10 times, people. The 10th time, my friend is laughing at me on the other side. He's like, you sound like a thing. So like, do it again. And then reword <laughs> this part. And like, he would literally come next to the computer and say, hey, you should reword this part of the question. You should reword this part of the answer. So that when it was time for my interview and I did it, they, they kind of just went like, whoa. Like this guy is like different, but like it's like you already got the job before you even start the interview. So okay. uh, something I want to push.
0: And and that, that I think is something we've touched on in this show as well is the importance of the elevator pitch, that 30 to 60 second uh, advertisement almost for yourself to say, this is who I am. This is what I can do for you. And this is why you should hire me. So again, another great snippet there for everybody. And we've we've talked about that, but at the same time, seeing it done in a way that is, I mean that, you said you you ad lib that, but that was that was fluid as all get out, Brendan, which is which is just great. And hearing a great example of that, I think will really, really help a lot of folks. So, listeners, if you if you are looking for a really tight example of how to impress somebody when it comes to you know launching into an interview when they ask you, what's the Rob Conlon story? What's the Brendan Kumar Sami story? That right there, I think take that, dissect it, you know, break it down and make it yours. Okay. That was fantastic. So, Brendan, we're, we're walking in, we take in, in that one recruiter, that's fine. But sometimes they bring a team. Sometimes they bring uh, a squad. And, and I've heard different things about, about why companies do this. Uh, I think sometimes they try to wrong foot people and kind of gang up on them. You know, it's a, it's a power dynamic. And I don't always necessarily agree with that. Uh, this is probably the closest time at which job hunting kind of comes to public speaking because you're actually talking to a group. So for someone who finds himself in a panel interview, what are some strategies that our listeners can actually use to help even that playing field, or maybe even kind of shift the the things to their advantage?
1: Yeah. And I'm happy to share something counterintuitive. Practice the panel before the panel. What does that mean? Always do the harder thing. So if you know, there's a panel of five people, I -hmm. would arrange a virtual panel before the actual interview with 10 people that you don't like, that hate you that are going to crush you. And that's what I did, right? You know, I, I made my interviews.
0: You have, you have oh. 10 people that don't like you?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, let me rephrase. I kind of sure, say that get, for, for a you. fact. But I mean, it's like very good friends of mine who aren't afraid to tell me the truth. That's what I mean. But the, the point that I'm driving is they've ran me through so many walls in eight months that by the time it was time to interview me, I didn't care if there's 50 people on the panel. Like, it didn't matter. Like, I was going to get the job because I had to practice so much more. Right. So the advice for people, whatever the format is for your interview, whether it's a one-on-one, whether it's a two-on-one, whether it's a ten-on-one, I, I think of it like a sports game or like war or something. Especially since we're in tough times, sure. make it harder. Like if you're if you're if you're training to run a forty-mile race, run sixty. So when you run forty, it's a joke. But if you're trying to present something you do understand, practice something you don't understand at all. Practice talking about hippos and nail polish. We can get into those exercises later. But the idea that I'm pu- pushing is if you do the harder thing, the presentation becomes easy. So I'll give you one uh, specific example. So for my IBM job, mm-hmm. the, the job I currently hold today, the interview process is very difficult in the sense that there was like 150 people on the shortlist and then they shortlisted another 30 for the final round. Wow. Right? And in that final round, I think maybe seven or nine people get a job out of the 30. So it's a pretty good rate, 33% chance. It's not bad. Okay, yeah. But obviously, Brendan doesn't take a chance, he's going to make sure he gets that job. So what happened when I was in that room is they made us do a group case. So how that works, this is very unique to the job I applied to, which is still good learning for everyone who's listening because your, your intro would be easier than what I did. They put us all into teams of five, six teams, five, uh, six people, five teams. Sure. And they made us all do a case. So a business problem, we all had an hour and you had a bunch of like very senior executives who'd watch all of us and see how they interacted or how we interacted in teams. And they would take notes. Right. And what happens is every single person gets one minute to present and every single person goes and our time runs out before they get to me. So the senior executive looks at me and says, you can say one sentence. So this is clearly the most stressful interview wow. you could ever get, okay? Like stress, Like everyone got a minute except for me because the presentation was five minutes or six people and the, they didn't, They it wasn't their fault. Okay, a lot of people actually knew in the interview because they were buddies of mine. They're from the program. So they're from the like mm-hmm. university. So it's not like it wasn't, they just got stressed, right? So their time ran out. So, but most candidates would have done like, uh, okay. Uh, company should do this. No, no, no. Like this is a guy who did a hundred case interviews. I'm not going to just say one sentence this is my only opportunity to get the job. So I literally go in a very kind way. Thank you very much. And then I go ahead and I just present for a minute and I blow it. Like, no, I mean, I don't blow it. I kill it. <laughs> okay. I, like I blow it out of the water. I mean, sure. And all of the executives looked at me and just went. I want him on my team. They fought over me. I got four job offers. Like it was nuts.
0: Wow. Okay. So to stop you for one second there, Brendan, you didn't have a minute to, you were not given a minute.
1: I took a minute.
0: You took the minute. Okay. How did, how did they take that? And maybe that's it. what you're getting into next.
1: Yeah, exactly. They loved it because of the, just, but, but obviously one thing I want to point out is I didn't demand the bit. I took it gracefully. The point I want to draw here, okay, is if you always do the harder exercise, when it's game time, you'll be prepped mentally. And you'll be so well prepared that you'll make the right decision. It's we, Remember, we always default to our practice. Our instinct always defaults to our practice. So if we haven't prepared, if we haven't done the work. We always default to that because the stress, we can't control what's going to happen. Like, I didn't expect that to happen, but I took advantage of it and I became the number one hire that year because of that. Or the number one, I guess, in demand. The way that this applies to you is saying, okay, well, I don't know what's going to happen in this interview. So I'm going to make my friends give me the hardest possible interview I can and judge me on everything. One thing I used to do in cases, that's a tip. I even made fun of people who smiled in the wrong way. So let's say like my, my teammate Catherine and I, we'd like practice in a hotel before we'd present the next day. Sure. She would literally look at me and say, Am I smiling the right way? And I would go, No, I'd literally take her hand move her to a mirror and just go, This is how you do it. Like this.
0: Like literally not like, adjusting your face.
1: Not, but I would do it like in front of like in front of the mirror. I just went, not like this. Like this. Like I'd be like, This is what you need. I fixed all of those little things. She was a monster. She destroyed all the other teams like the Good. the Same thing with you. Let me, like at this point, if you're in this conversation, right? That we're listening you're listening to. How many candidates, like really think about this. Sure, you know, jobs are more scarce now. Things are more harder. How many candidates are going to implement everything I just said? Most of them don't even implement one of those things. Right. Not even one. I've said like five things right now. If you do all those five things, you're already in the top 1% of applicants, right? So if if you apply to 10 jobs that you're really qualified for, I would be shocked if you couldn't get one of those 10.
0: Good to hear. Okay. So we're still in front of that panel of three to four people. If one of them asks me a question, you know, say they're sitting in a row, you know, the person on the right asks me a question. How do I reply to that question from like an attention standpoint? Obviously, Jane, who's sitting on the left there asked me the question, but Roger, who's over here on the left, all the way on the left, what's what's the goal for me? when I'm answering that question in paying attention to everybody.
1: Good follow. So the point that I that I think about this or the way that I think about this is you wanna buy time. So one thing I would say is I would say something like, thank you for the question, Jane. That just gave me two seconds to think. And then what's gonna happen in that two seconds, I'm gonna start talking, try and build a solution. And what you wanna do is even if you're answering the question to Jane, you still wanna look at everyone else in the panel. But here's the practical way of dealing with this because I know a lot of us struggle with questions. Sure. Do question drills. So what's a question drill? That same panel I talked about virtually, they're not just commenting on presentations. They're yeah. asking you questions. Every little hole in everything that you say, they try and find their job is to make sure you get the job, essentially. So what happens is they ask you so many questions, every little nitty gritty thing about what you do, mm-hmm. that you're ready for anything. And I'll give you a personal example. When I applied for IBM, my friends told me one of the questions that might come up is why do you not want to get a full-time job at PwC? Like, why do you want to apply for IBM? Right. And I knew that that was coming. So my friends grilled me. They said, well, I mean, PwC has this many benefits. Why are you leaving this great team? Are you some guy who just defects to a job? Like you're not, you're not loyal to a company. Like they would hit me like really hard. Guess what question I got in the final round.
0: Ooh, Really?
1: Yeah. Senior executive at IBM, he looked at me and said, you know, Brendan, you're a bit different than most of the candidates we get. You're pretty talented, qualified, saw the presentation, you're pretty good. Uh, so why are you leaving Price? I'm sure Price gave you an offer. Why, why, why are you joining IBM? Everything was ready. said, well, blah, 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 blah. I gave my answer and he was like, okay. Then he started drilling me again. And it was actually crazy, it was in the final round. So one of the industries I worked in as a PwC was paper and pulp. So paper and pulp, for those who don't get more context, it's basically a factory where you make paper, you know, printing paper. Things right. like that.
0: Yeah, here here in Wisconsin, we have a ton of paper mills, you know, that right. smash so pulp into, into sheets.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you're familiar, right? Totally. Fortunately, Unfortunately for me, that was an internship, right? So I knew a bit about people and okay. pulp. Okay. I was talking to the lead executive of paper and pulp in Canada. Like the guy in front of me was no the way. guy. I just got really unlucky. That's, that's how unlucky I got in this situation. And he was like, oh, it's great that you worked at the paper and pulp. He probably he knew the client, right? Even if I couldn't even say the client, he probably knew who it was sure. without even like flinching. He was like, walk me through the entire paper and pulp process. None of my friends prepared me for that question. Yeah. Right? I was just like, crap. Obviously, like I did well and I did okay. So what's the lesson here? And the reason I'm being transparent here, because I got the job, right? The right, reason yes, I'm being yes. transparent here, because, you know, he loves me. We're great friends. Now. He's just really hard for the <laughs> interview. But he, he's awesome. I love that guy. But it's a point that I'm driving is you always need to prepare for everything. But the only way to prepare for everything, especially in the context that you mentioned, asking questions, there are definitely questions you won't know the answer to. So the best way to prepare is by getting your friends to ask you every question in the box. You know, Rob, what's your greatest weakness? Why do you want to work here anyways? What do you think are our missions and values and how they tie into who you are? Blah, 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 on and on and on. Hours a day, you know, constantly. So when you're in that interview, they can ask you anything. It doesn't matter. Same exa- example I'll give again. This very podcast, when I was on my first podcast interview, you can imagine my reaction why is a stranger asking me questions about my life? I don't right. know why you ask me these questions, <laughs> which is obviously not your case. Yeah, I know you're an amazing interviewer. But then after like a hundred shows, I kind of just said, well, at the end of the day, like what's Rob going to ask me that I don't already have an answer to? Because I've just answered it over and over again. But that analogy applies to you in an interview, right? If, if you've already answered everything, if you know you're telling me about yourself, you can't be somebody else. Like you know the answer, then mm-hmm. you'll be pitch perfect.
0: Got it. Good deal. So again, another little summary bullet points there. If you've got three or four people in front of you, be prepared to answer almost anything. Uh, And again, train up with the people who are in your life that can help you. But when you have them sitting in front of you in, in that, that spread, if you will acknowledge the question, buy yourself some time, and then acknowledge folks in turn across the, the span, if you will. There was one other thing that you mentioned, Oh, defaulting to your lowest, uh, Lowest level of training, that's actually something that I've, I've always had in my, my kind of brain here for the past number of years, because it happens whenever you have an adrenaline dump. And from from my past industry, in the firearms industry, we talk about self-defense. And when you actually you know would have to use a firearm against another human being, that is an adrenaline dump, because you're in a, a deadly force situation. And you default to your lowest level of training. So if you don't practice, if you don't run the mind games, whether it's jobs or, or Hopefully not a home invasion or something like that. You always default to the lowest. So the goal for a job seeker is to raise that floor. This this job that you have, Brendan, I like knowing everything about what the application process is. I'm, I'm I'm looking at this going, I don't think I'd ever apply for this. Like, like this just sounds awful. But it sounds like you really enjoy what you do. Number one, number two, it sounds like it's very rewarding for you. So, I mean, we talked a lot about answering those questions and we're asked a lot of behavioral questions in interviews. And I'm sure you were asked plenty of those. Uh, A few weeks ago on the show here, we covered the STAR method, which is situation, task, action, result. When you're asked a question like that, what can you teach us, Brendan, today about creating an effective story for an interview question like that?
1: Right. So I don't want to kind of double what the other person did. So I completely agree. Let me start by saying star is the best way of going through any question. Okay, cool. But what I will say is most people use star in the wrong way. So in the sense of, wh- they explain a situation, a task, an action, a result, but they do it in a way that they don't seem passionate at all. Yeah, so this is the situation. I was at work at a Fortune 500 company. The biggest mistake people make with star is that they don't look like they're living the story. So what I always recommend people to do is you only tell your best stuff in an interview and nobody does that because they kind of just say, Oh, well, I guess I need two, three star things. I'll figure out. But they don't really ask themselves. What are the best stories in my box? One thing that they do at McKinsey and company, which is one of the hardest companies in the world to get into. I think mm-hmm. the rate is one and 400 get a job at the company. It's pretty nuts.
0: Wow. Pretty that's crazy. crazy. And that's of the people that get an interview.
1: Oh yeah. So, an interview. And
0: so there might be, 4,000 more that don't even get in the door.
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's crazy. Absolutely, I'm one of those people who didn't even get an interview. and Me, and I'm like the crazy guy here. I didn't even right, get an yes. interview at McKinsey, <laughs> right? So the the point I'm I'm driving with Mac is what they do. That's really interesting. Is their interviews are trained for the best stories because there's so many good applicants that are in this pool. Sure. And that like like we're talking gold medalists in like the Olympics apply for like a job at McKinsey. We're talking. Uh, I know a couple of guys at McKinsey, but like not a not Olympic gold medals, but they've done some really fascinating stuff with their life. So the the key is when you talk about star in, in your jobs that you are currently competing for and you that you want in your life, you want to figure out how can you star to pull out some of the most interesting stories within your repertoire. So one thing, an exercise I did with my friends that they did on me is out of everything in your life, Brendan, you know, the case competitions, blah, blah, blah. What are the three to two to three stories that like would blow people's minds? Okay. So one of them, I won't expand too much, but I'll just name it right, sure. really quickly. So one of them obviously is the YouTube channel. So I started YouTube, the YouTube thing in university. So that's obviously very unique. Oh, like this guy's like adding values, creating thought leadership. Or, you know, that's cool. That's unique. Number two, he coached a lot of people on leadership, public speaking at a very young age. So I trained, you know, you know, dozens of people on public. And I talked about that experience, how I managed the teams. So it's really, it's really good because it shows leadership in what you're doing. And I was explaining the hardest moment in my life, which was when one of those competitions got canceled. So we put in a bunch of work in. And then we found out the day before that it wasn't happening anymore. So everyone was crying and I had to do crisis management at the age of like 21. So you can imagine the way you're reacting to me right now. You know how, how differentiated I am as a candidate right now? Cause you're watching me and you're like, wow, this guy's like incredible. I need this. I need to give yeah. this person a job. Whereas the seven people I interviewed today, this was their story. Yeah. So I was at work, Rob. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I printed some paper and that's the result. Man. We got some printed papers. You're just like, oh. right.
0: Right, you, so, you zone out of a, of a non-interesting story. Exactly. So, so bring, your, bring your A game, got it.
1: And this is going to be great reassurance for people. The people who are the best in the game right now in this market already have a job. You're not competing against people like me, right? We, we have a job with the top performers in our, in our companies right now. So we're not, we're not getting far, trust me. But the point that I'm driving for you who's listening is that's your advantage. If you do what I'm saying right now, How many candidates are actually doing this? Like interesting stories getting pushed on by their friends to see. No, Rob. Because remember, one thing I want to push here. because I'm getting really excited this discussion, your friends are much better at pulling out stories about you than you are. Let me repeat that again. Everyone else besides you is better at pulling out your best qualities than you. So whenever I, when I started practicing this, it sounded something like this. Uh, yeah, uh, my name's Brendan. This is coming from the speech coach guy. You know, I'm Brandon, and I worked at PwC, and I want a job at IBM. Thank you. And then my friend's looking at me, and he's like, I've spent three years competing with you. You're one of the brightest minds I've ever worked with, and you don't sound like anything that you usually are. Step up your game. And I just said... Okay, but I don't want to talk about this, Rich. I don't want to do that. It's like, you're going to do that if you want the job. You need that accountability. You need someone to tell you what your great qualities are so you can bring them out in a very eloquent way that I've done a couple of minutes ago. Yeah,
0: and that's that's outstanding. And you you mentioned a great point there too about, yes, the, the creme de la creme. You know, you you are a smart person. That's why you're, why you're on this show. Uh, you are a smart person and you're a gifted person. I can tell that. I can tell that from the moment that you and I uh, connected through the the guesting platform that I use, uh, I can tell like about well, this guy's really got his his stuff together. And I may not be as bright as you, but because you're you have a position, I don't have to worry about you. You're not my competition, which is awesome. So it doesn't matter what le- somebody's level of intelligence or anything is. It it kind of comes down to hard work in this case. And somebody who is looking for that position needs to take on the qualities that you have that landed you IBM and things like that in order to land anything from a middle management job down to, I mean, I almost think it's, this is, this is applicable to, to entry level positions in, you know, jobs that people would tend to not find glamorous, you know, fast food, things along those lines. So if you can differentiate yourself by being the best candidate, things will start to flow your way. Just great. Good deal. Alrighty. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I, I do want to ask this one now that, now that I really, we, we've been talking about this. So I know that I'm a person who is talky, if you will. And I think you and I probably sh- sort of share that together. Uh, this is a, a t- show with two talkers talking to each other. In an interview, we want to be succinct. We want to be very compact, but hit really hard with the words that we, we use. Are there times when you should be a bit more verbose?
1: So, so one thing I'll, I'll I'll emphasize is there's an easy way to figure that out. It really depends on the company. If you're applying to Louis Vuitton, right, which is a very high luxury brand, maybe yeah. the language that they use is going to be very different. So, my advice is actually really simple. But but it's there in French not...
0: too. It's be French as Louis Vuitton.
1: <laughs> oh, right. yeah, I do <laughs> no, like I brought out my little. What the actual
0: stuff. words you use. Go ahead, Brendan. Sorry.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. But the, the point I'm LVMH essentially. But the point I'm, I'm driving is any company you're serious about you want to make sure you're talking to somebody in the department. I don't care if you're applying for a sales job. I don't care if you're applying for a secretary job. It doesn't matter. You need to get to know one person on the team. Even if you're cold emailing them. I cold emailed a bunch of people when I applied for the different consulting because I hit all those firms, McKinsey, Bing, and all those companies. Sure. But the reason you want to do that is so you understand the language in which they operate. So I'll give an example. McKinsey's a good mix of professionalism and casual. So they they know how to act professional, but they're a bit more casual with their coffees. BCG is super casual at the Montreal office. They're super easygoing, incredibly hardworking though. You know, IBM is so casual, but there's a point that I'm driving is by understanding the language and how they speak, you know how to speak in an interview. In most cases, at least in the city where I applied for jobs, most people are super casual. If you use very complex words, they'll actually like you less for it. So I think the point that you want to drive is mirror the language of the other person that you want to interview for you basically want to convince them in an interview that you're one of them that's why my number one tip with interview actually has nothing to do with public speaking it's get the job before you even interview for it so that means that when you get when you get when you walk in for your interview the interview should already know you and like you because somebody that either referred you or somebody you got a coffee with said hey, by the way, this is Brendan guy. He's really interesting. You know, I had a chat with him for 30 minutes last week. I think he's going to be a good fit for the team. So they're both going to say, oh, well, Brendan's already a good fit for the team. And then I come there and just validate what they already thought was true.
0: Got it. And I'm so glad you actually went into that because I was going to ask you exactly that. You know, what's, what should I be picking up to, to take with me to that one-on-one interview? And and finding out, you know, you're already one of us is, is probably the biggest thing. And, and in, if I can add a bit of my expertise on that, I, I think... Uh, you have a very short amount of time if, and you, you'll you have done some research and things like that, but you have a very short amount of time to adjust yourself to being one of them because you, maybe you've met somebody through an email and that doesn't necessarily tell you how they speak or, you know, through LinkedIn, whatever it might be. So you have to be very perceptive in that first meeting with somebody to be like, okay, I have to match energy. I have to match posture. I have to match things that are, are their body language, uh, maybe their their level of education, things along those lines. You have a very, very short window to do that initially. But as you're taken through, taking through the interview, you can actually adjust that kind of on the fly, which is really, really neat. And you should evolve that persona as well. So really, really great stuff there, Brendan. So I think we're down, actually, you know, that, that I was gonna ask you, what's the biggest guiding rule for interviewing when it comes to talking? I, th- I think you did just, slam at home there which is which is really interesting uh let me go to this this kind of next question is it kind of talks about the same thing uh and it's one of my favorite comedians this guy by the name of uh, eddie Izzard. have you heard of him
1: but i'm a huge fan of stand-up though
0: okay very good well eddie is a is a, a dresser and he's british and he does some tv and some movies too i think i think he was in peaky blinders for half a minute or something like that uh but in one of his comedy bits it's an older one uh, he talks about america's national anthem and how we always look so proud of what we're singing even though some of us don't know the words and he makes a big show out of sing, you know singing the star spangled banner in absolute gibberish but at the end of the bit he mentions the following which is 50 percent of what you say is how you look when you say it 40 percent is how you sound and ten percent is what you actually say. Now that was a terrible, terrible British accent. I mean, people, I will get yeah, letters actually. about that. Um, in a job and hiring environment, is is that the same? That fifty percent of looking the part, forty percent of sounding the part, and ten percent is actually just the words coming out of your mouth.
1: Right. I wouldn't worry too much about the stats. That's why I tend to avoid it. Right. But well, what right. I will <laughs> say, yeah. What I will say in general is. There's definitely a lot more than just the answers you give, but how you give those answers. So let's say I came up to you and I said, Oh, you know, tell me about yourself. My name's Brenda. I'm doing this, and this is what I love about this, what I care about. I'm kind of just like, dude, like, whoa, this guy's so fast. I don't understand what he's saying. But instead, if I said, You know, it's great to be here today. Thanks for having me. My name's Brendan Korsami, and I'm very excited to be applying for the position. If there's anything about me that you want to remember, notice how I'm like a lot. Yeah, to
0: the point where I actually, when you started talking about that, like I almost stepped in as as like director producer here and went, Brendan, I need you to slow down because you literally just, I almost stopped the show here for that thing and to say, man, I need you to slow down so that I can see how that would really be off putting to somebody going like, stop, (laughs) slow down.
1: Exactly. So so there's two parts to this. I want to emphasize what is definitely what you say. Because what you say, this is going to be interesting for people, what you say gives you the confidence to know how to say it. Okay? Okay. What you say gives you the confidence to know how to say it. The same way how in sports, if you've done the drill a thousand times, it gives you the confidence that you just can't get anywhere else that allows you to make quick, timely decisions that might not have been what you practiced. Same thing here. The more you practice your answers to tell me about yourself, the more confident you become, So then you can spend a lot more time figuring out how to communicate in that in a way that's compelling. So the first version of your tell me about yourself is going to be met with a lot of criticism. The way that you speak it, it's going to be horrible. The way you structure, it's going to be bad. But then after two weeks, not like two years, two weeks of just doing this every day, it's going to sound like a hundred times better. I'm not even exaggerating because you just know the structure. There's only so much you can talk about yourself. Like there's, it's only a certain amount of words, then tell me about yourself. It's not a three 30-minute monologue here. It's like a minute and a half.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Max, max, max. It's probably 30 seconds, 45 seconds. So you're gonna master at some point. And then in the second part, when you get the words straight, that already gives you a newfound confidence. You're like, wow, my tell me about yourself is way better than what it was before. And then the second part is more challenging, but now you have the confidence to tackle it. Is now, how are you doing this? Well, Brendan, you didn't pause between point one and point two. Well, Brendan, you don't look excited when you talk about yourself. Because if you start your presentation going like this, well, yeah, my name is Brendan and I'm passionate about this. Well, I don't really look too excited, <laughs> am I? I
0: just straight faced.
1: Yeah, if I go, you know, my name's Brendan, I'm really excited to be here. I look excited. It's great. And then over time, what happens is then how you say it also gets better. And that one question that you master, trickles down all the communication skills that you mastered in that one thing trickles down to every other question they can ever ask you.
0: Excellent. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, we're kind of winding to the end of the stuff I had prepared here. So the the final question I'd like to ask you is kind of a two-parter. Uh, Brendan, in your opinion, what is the biggest problem or challenge with the job market today? And I'll ask you the second part as well. How do we fix it?
1: Right. I would say the biggest problem with the job market today is probably mindset. And what I mean by mindset, and it's easy for me to say that having a job. Right. But what I will say is in 2019, when I applied for IBM, the reason why I had so much anxiety, the reason I prepped so much is because I knew a recession was coming. I never went through a recession. No, I don't know what hard times are like. I just knew it was coming. So I knew I needed to secure a job. Did I expect Corona to happen? No, definitely not. I it. did, no. <laughs> but I knew that I wanted to have a secure job before something happened. I didn't know what it was. And it just ended up being, you know, a year and a half after I signed my offer. So my timing, I just got lucky with that. But sure. what I didn't get lucky with, right, that was entirely me, was the mindset and how I approached that interview even if times were good in 2019. Times were incredible. It was the best job market in the history of America, essentially, in Canada. Unemployment was like 3% or something, and especially in high-skills work. So, like, But I still went up, went into that interview like it was do or die. To be frank, if I lost my job tomorrow, that I don't think is likely, because I've done everything it is to make sure I don't, but if I do, I would cry about it for a week. But after a week, I would say, it's game time. Let's get back into it. I think what's missing for most candidates is the mindset component of saying, I can actually do this. I can actually figure it out. I can't even talk to people into coffee and one-on-one. How am I supposed to figure this out? How we fix it, which is going to be a weird response coming from me is you don't, you take advantage of it right Ooh. you don't try and fix okay. the mindset you take advantage of the fact that 90 percent of people are going to struggle in virtual interviews and 90 percent, 95 percent of people are, go- are going to struggle to even have a conversation over zoom you exploit it because right now what you want to do is you want to take advantage of everyone you can do what i'm going to tell people is always be selfish first get your chips in order and then help other people i never would have started master talk until i had my needs met now I can focus on helping the world, doing podcasts like this for free, helping people, adding value after I won. You need to focus on your win first. But, because I know I sound very intense and competitive, the best way of doing that is not alone.
0: Right? Got it. A so group of people, back to that group.
1: Right. Go find the people who believe that when you believe are in that 5% who are willing to go getters, get the stuff that they need. Promise you'll all be successful. Every single person, without a doubt, that helped me get the job that I have has a job right now. Really? And if they didn't, I would be the first person to recommend them to mine, to my company, right? And that's the key. When you have those five percenters who are willing to think like you didn't push for the game, I don't see how you lose. I honestly don't.
0: Wow. And that, that I think we've had powerful stuff from you today, my friend. We really have. So we're we're winding down and there is there are so many takeaways. Like the show notes for this are gonna be bananas. They really are. Um and and actually you know what I, I want to say I don't want to say speaking of bananas, but I made myself a little note up here. You mentioned hippos and nail polish. And this I that was my last written question, but what what did you mean by that? I I, I hate teasing things and then never closing them out. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, of course. So what I meant by this one exercise you can practice public speaking with that will really give you a lot of mindset. We can demonstrate this. It's called the random word exercise sure. where you essentially give yourself a random word and you present something out of thin air. So why don't we just practice this right now, Rob? Why don't you just give me a random word?
0: Uh, let's go with paint.
1: Paint. Sure. Awesome. Paint. I like to do a lot of things with my life, whether it's arts and crafts, whether it's being on a podcast like this. And in that same way, creativity can be expressed in different ways. But there's one skill in particular that drives my creativity the most. And no, it's not writing. No, it's not making videos on YouTube, but it's to paint. Painting is an incredible way of showcasing your creativity. Whether it's the canvases we paint on a piece of paper to the canvases we make and the bigger canvases that we create to the painting that is our very masterpiece of our lives. What I challenge you all to think about is not just painting as a verb or painting as a way of expression, but painting as a way of being. Don't let other people paint your canvas, paint your own, be the own masterpiece of what you were meant to be. And share your paintings with the world. So notice how I just like said something completely random here. The point that I'm driving, but,
0: but it things. wasn't it wasn't random. There were, there, were right. there was definitely stuff. And go ahead, three, three right. things.
1: Three things. One, never compare yourself to me. I've done this two thousand times. I'm like a slave on podcasts. I keep doing it over and over again because I need a demonstrate <laughs> Or else people won't know what the benchmark is. Number two, all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day, every day. One word, one minute. Like so five words, one minute each. You know, lamppost, wife I'm arguing with tree, floor, cupboard, one minute each. That's that's where the nail polish all that stuff comes from. I got nail polish two weeks ago. So I start talking about beauty and how the definition of beauty Can you figure it out. Number three, which is the most important thing. This seems ridiculous, but the implications are a lot more important than you think. The implications are as follows. If I could talk about hippos. For a minute, if I can talk about nail polish for a minute, who cares about an interview? They're going to ask me things I already know. They're going to ask me about experiences I already did. They're going to ask me questions I've already been asked before. That very interview that you were scared of, that you were so afraid of, suddenly becomes a joke. And that's the point of the random word.
0: Got it. It's, it's the almost like the sell me the pencil exercise but slightly altered to be more ad living. Got it. That's really cool. All right. Now it's your turn, my friend. Uh, I'm out of, I'm out of stuff. And at the end of the show, every, you know, every show that has a guest, we give you the opportunity to bring out some of those things that I didn't, uh, I don't want I don't want to ever have you do my job for me, but, uh, you know, there, there's probably a couple of little things left over kicking around that I didn't ask you about. Uh, and you know, we would love the answers to those. So what didn't I ask you today, Brandon, about public speaking, Uh, for work to help folks on their job hunt.
1: Absolutely. So I I want to bring two things to the table here that I think are going to help a lot of people. One is most candidates don't prepare a good set of questions to ask at the end of the interview. Mm -hmm. Their questions are literally like, it's just a joke. Like don't ask questions that everyone else is asking, ask questions that only applies to the company. So for example, if you're applying to a company like IBM, Don't just ask about, hey, like, what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make at the job or blah, 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 No, ask them stuff that's relevant to them. Hey, you know, I heard about this initiative that you're working on right now at IBM at your office specific. Can you tell me more about that and how other consultants have gotten involved with this? Boom. Can you give me an example that demonstrates the culture well within the company? Bam. Now you're asking questions that are relevant, that are interesting, and that are unique. So prepare a set of questions and always fact check them with your friends because you don't need 10. You need like three really good ones. And if, and don't like, remember this is a group exercise people. If you don't know the questions, ask your friends to give you questions to use. (laughs) It's like, it's not hard.
0: And that's saying somebody who maybe you already have an in with at the job. Like, yeah. Okay. Use that resource.
1: I'll give you a super easy example. So I interviewed at PwC three years ago. This is a long time ago and I got the job there. And I asked a really good question, which is as follows. Can you give me an example that demonstrates the culture of the company? That was really interesting. Like a great, specific example. Like, great yeah. question. And then my friend interviewed at PwC three years later and I just, and I wasn't working there anymore. I was like, dude, use the question. Just use the same question. No one else is going to ask that. He asked the question. Crews are like, Wow, that was a really good question. You got the job the next day. That's the point. Okay. Don't try and reinvent the wheel, people. Work as a team. Try and figure out questions that people aren't willing to ask and ask them. Number two, this is the best career advice I ever got. So I was 19, and I started competing in cases. I I did a competition with McKinsey, which, like we all know now, since the interview is like a really prestigious company. I thought it wasn't a big deal. I didn't really know what it was. And I met one of the senior partners there, really impressive guy. He's like one of the youngest guys and really super impressive. And he gave me the best piece of advice I'll never forget. He said, think like an executive on day one. And I asked him what he meant by that. He said, everything that you do, I don't care if you're an intern. I don't care if you're an entry level. I don't care if you're a manager, always think like the most senior executives in the company and pretend to be them. And that doesn't just mean in what you do, it also means who you surround yourself with. So when you start a company, what most people do is they go, okay, uh, Rob gives me tasks to do, I complete the task, I do a good job. But the really high performers doing any company is they understand the business, the organization. So when an executive gives them work to do, they're not afraid to say, how does this apply to the bigger picture of things? Because that's what an executive would ask. So when I went into my interview process with IBM, the reason they gave me the job, yeah, sure, you know, it was great with the presentation, but it was my questions that differentiated me from everyone else. I asked them questions that only an executive would ask. So things like Talking about client generation, how do you think about building relationships with big conglomerates within your client base? And how do you use that to generate new leads? And they looked at me dumbfounded because I was 21 asking these questions at right, the time. Right, yeah. I didn't like, learn those
0: questions as I was like 33.
1: <laughs> right, they were like triple or double my age. And they're just looking at me like, this guy understands the business. So when I started working, I started, like the first thing I did when I was on the job, I cold emailed a couple of senior executives at IBM. And I just said, Hey, I'm new. Uh, can I talk to you? They all gave me their time. Really? Nobody else does it. Hmm. I started meeting them. I started like one question I asked them, you can steal. Like I'm giving you all the golden nuggets. So I'm not competing anymore. Right.
0: <coughs> Love it. That's why you're here. Right.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> you're why I'm not here. competing so, anymore. So right? I'm not competing anymore. So the golden nugget is this question I asked an executive. I said, what's the best piece of advice you've ever given another executive? So the reason this is gold is because it, it prevents the dumb question they usually get, which is what's the best piece of advice you have for me. Now it forces them to answer something that only an executive would know because I want to be an executive. Remember, think like an executive on day one. So what happened? And I started building a relationship with all these executives three months in and they treat me like an executive. Interesting. And I'm 23. Right. How does that make any sense? That's the point in your jobs, in your interviews when you have the job. Because remember, part of the interview is when you also have the job. How do you make sure to keep thinking like an executive so that you're a value add to the company and not a detractor? Got and it. you'll never get fired.
0: <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. Man, that that I I tried to pull out like three things from every episode here. I we may be pulling towards six, seven, eight. I don't know, but either way, that's more content for fabulous people who listen to us. So, wow. Um, thank you for, for, for plugging those holes. I mean, and th- I think you really brought some unique questions that I didn't ask. I, I love the, the think like the executive thing that yes, there's always that thing out there that says, yes, think like a boss. But when you actually think like somebody with the company and, and get that advice. I think that's, that's just excellent. So, uh, you know, I, I talked about plugging holes there and getting everything there. Uh, it's time to make sure that people know where to find you, Brendan, we're, we're, we're finished up here. And, uh, where can people find you, uh, Brendan, Brendan around the internet?
1: Of course. And what I want to add on the executive go, thing, can I, can I plug uh, some about me and everything? is a lot of people are probably wondering, how do I think like an executive more effectively? So my advice is talk to them a lot more. You would be shocked, surprised to know that a lot of executives will actually meet people for coffee. They just don't because nobody emails them. When I was 20 years old, (laughs) the thing that I did that really made me stand apart from everyone else, like it was impossible to compete against me. And I'm happy to share it, is I was the only student in Montreal who reached out to senior partners. I met the head of Ernest & Young's tax practice for Canada for coffee Wow! when I was 20. I had an oversized suit on. I was carrying Ray Dalio's book principles to pretend I was smart. I was shaking in the office like this, (laughs) like a little girl, like an eight-year-old girl shaking. The guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'm so-and-so. You know know what the first thing he asked me was? He was like, how was your summer? I was like, why is it, do, do executives like do summer? Is this right, like?" A yeah. <laughs> so what happened in that conversation, he was a really nice guy. Let's call him John. John was a really nice person. But when I learned that conversation with him, he was just a regular dude. He they all are. He was a regular guy. So it was easier for me to become that executive. So the more that you talk to them, now there, there's a, the guy that I, that I speak to all the time is one of my mentors at IBM now. He's like the most senior executive there. Like he's like an SVP or something. He treats me like an SVP because I treat him like a normal human being. I don't say, sir, or something. He'd go, what's up, man? Like, whatever. He just gives me advice.
0: Right. Putting putting people on a, on a pedestal, pedestal in the, the executive capacity, there are some that really do like that, and that's a personality trait. But for the most part, you're right, Brennan. Most of them are just regular guys who just happen to be in positions of power with high-paying pay stubs, you know?
1: Absolutely. So, so I hope that advice helps. And if you want to get in touch with me and learn public speaking on all sides of the of the coin here check out master talk, which is uh, my YouTube channel. So it's in one word. And if you want to message me directly with any other question, I'm always happy to serve. Uh, that's an Instagram at master your talk.
0: Awesome. I, you know, what, I got to make sure we, we are connected there too. So that that's good, but yes. So master talk on YouTube. Great channel. If you haven't gone and seen, seen this yet, folks. The production values for for it are, are actually really nice, and I, I that's why I uh, really in, enjoyed having you as a guest here, Brendan, because I think you you bring a real polish to things when you put them together. So that's excellent. Again, thank you for being here today, and we'll get. I think we might get you back in the future if you're willing to to come on uh, again. So that's that's awesome. All right, folks, so for my end of things here at Recruiting Hell, please, of course, do visit that spiffy new website, recruitinghell.com. Again, that's Recruiting Hell dot com. Go there, click things, get the extras, follow us on social media, and of course, subscribe to the brand new Recruiting Hell Overtime. That is something you're really missing a lot of great stuff on there, direct from people who are in the recruiting world and new articles from myself and other people on topics that are completely different than what you hear on the show. We want to give you more, and that's why Overtime exists, so definitely go there, subscribe to that, and of course, We'll make sure that there's great content all over the place. Recruiting Hell is, of course, a production of Westport Studios here in beautiful Port Washington, Wisconsin. And it is a resident show of Podcast Town. So if you're looking for more great shows and resources, please do check out RecruitingHell.com. And under the Friends of the Show page, uh, you're actually going to find some some wonderful folks who I not only call friends, but whose input and feedback uh, actively make this show better. And they have some great resources for you. So please reward them with a listen or a visit to their site as well and hey if you haven't subscribed followed or shared this show i would greatly appreciate it and there are millions of americans out there canadians too all over the world that could really benefit learning more about how to power up their job hunt with people like brendan here they're likely your friends and neighbors let's get them helped out that is what this is all about last but not least thank you to purple planet for our music theme and of course you the listener for tuning in i'm rob conlin and until we meet again keep moving forward with your self-betterment and your job hunt it's a marathon not a sprint and recruiting hell will be here to help you keep pace